And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Notice, Mighty God. This son is Mighty God, Almighty God in the flesh. That's equating God the Father with the Son. That means they are one. We've heard of the Trinity. Try explaining that to somebody, the Trinity. You're going to have a hard time. But that's what the Bible says. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The three are one. All exclaiming, Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. The first three Gospels focus more on what Jesus taught and did. John focuses more on who Jesus is. John shows us who Jesus is by giving us Jesus' own words about himself, expressed in seven dramatic I am statements. These seven I am statements were not included in the first three Gospels. John showed us who Jesus is by giving the testimony of witnesses who testify about the identity of Jesus. John's Gospel emphasizes the deity of Jesus that shows us He is God. Now here's Pastor Rob with today's lesson. In Romans 6.23, what does it tell us? The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is what? Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. A wage is something you earn, and when I sin, I earn death. But, what does it say? The gift of God is. A gift is not something that you earn. A gift is something that's freely given. And what is that gift? Eternal life through Jesus Christ. How important is it that Jesus died for our sin? How important is it that he is deity, that he is almighty God in the flesh? I would say it's everything. See, we could not pay the price for our sin. Had it not been for God's grace, mercy, and compassion, we would have been eternally separated from God in the lake of fire forever. So I think this is important. In Hebrews 9, it says, uh, 22, it says, According to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sins. Without, without the shedding of blood there is no remission. There has to be a substitute, because God says, The soul that sins shall surely die. That's why, even in the Old Testament, even the animal sacrifices, they were insufficient. They covered for a time, but it wasn't permanent. It was something they had to do over and over and over again. In Hebrews chapter 10, what does it say? For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, with those these same sacrifices, which they offer continually, year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then would they have ceased to be offered. For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. 
So even in the Old Testament, the, the sacrificial system, it was temporary. It wasn't something that was permanent. Until Christ came and offered himself once and for all. In Hebrews 9 verse 11 it says, But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come. With the greater and more perfect tabernacle. Remember that word tabernacle. Because next week we'll get into, and the word became flesh and was tabernacled among us. But notice what it says. With the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of bulls and goats, notice this, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Wow. There it is. Is his deity necessary? Is it important? Yes, it is, because of the sin issue. Only God can forgive sins. And it wasn't until Jesus that he did it. That's why he said on the cross, it is finished. There's no more sins that have to be atoned for. You just have to look to him Because he's the perfect spotless lamb of God. His blood on the cross was all that was needed. It doesn't need to happen over and over again like the Old Testament. Once. Once and for all. And God in his grace gave us this remedy. This wonderful remedy. His son Jesus. What does it tell us? In the verse that we all know and have memorized. For God so loved the world. That he. God the father. He gave as a gift. His son He gave Jesus, his son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish eternally, but have everlasting life. So what is it all about? It's about believing in the son of God, Jesus Christ. I think the devil hates that. He doesn't want you to know who Jesus is. He's very content with the Jehovah's Witnesses. He's very content with the Mormons. He's very content with Islam and Buddhism and Hinduism because they don't claim that their founder is God in the flesh and died for the sin of man. They don't like to talk about sin. And their, their understanding of who Jesus is is so warped. It's not right. It's not biblical. It's not who Jesus said he was. I think that's a problem, don't you? If somebody says that Jesus is the kind of person who can just kind of feel it, you know, just kind of do what feels good. And believe it or not, there are many people today that serve that kind of Jesus. Oh, Jesus loves me. Yeah, it's okay. It's okay to smoke that pot. It's okay to continue hanging out at the bars and sleeping around. It's okay. It's okay that I steal from work. God will forgive me. After all, he knows I have needs, and he's not that bad. He's a God of love, isn't he? Yes, he is. He is a God of love. But he's a God of holiness, and he demands that of you. And we can't, in and of ourselves, do that. But in Christ, we have been made righteous through his blood. God sees you as righteous because of his blood covering you. What a great thing. That's why this is so important. The deity of Christ. And again, if Jesus was not who he said he was, if he wasn't God incarnate and he didn't die for our sins and we are hopeless, we are condemned. At the very best, 
we will just die and cease to exist. Sort of like when you go under anesthesia for a surgery. You don't even remember what happened. And, you know, at the, at the, at the best, that would be what it is if it wasn't for Christ. If, if this is all this is not true, then, then we're just going to die and then we just cease to exist. Or the worst case scenario is that we don't have a Savior, nobody can save us, and then we die and we spend eternal, <laughs> eternity in the lake of fire. But that's not what the Bible says. He is the Savior of the world. He came to save, to seek, and to save the lost. And I, I hope that he's got all of you. Does he have you? Do you know that you've been... Ha- I was going to say, do you know that you've been having... having do you know that you've been obtained? <laughs> do you know that God has you? And if you don't know, go to your prayer closet today and say, God, I want to make sure that you have got me. I don't want to play Russian roulette here. I want to know today that I am one of yours. Because the Bible says that you can know that. And you keep praying. If you're, uh, if you're doubtful, if you're unsure of whether you belong to him or not, do not cease every day to pray until he confirms it to your heart. Because believe me, you don't have to beg. You don't have to beg. And it's not based on your performance. It's based on your belief of what he, who he is and what he did for you. That's all you got to do. Confess your sin and receive Christ. Receive him. But he died once. Romans 6.10, for the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. In Hebrews 7.26, for such a high priest was fitting for us, who was holy, notice, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. Who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. No more need to do all those cutting of the lambs and sacrificing the lambs and the goats. One sacrifice is all that's required. And it's already happened, folks. We look back on that event at Calvary the greatest worship service in the history of the universe on that cross. And yet he stood there alone with only a few people looking on and all of his disciples except for John scattered. Alone he paid the price on that cross. Even his own father abandoned him on the cross. He was stricken, smitten, and afflicted of God. He became sin for us. And this is the theme of the Gospel of John, that Jesus is God. And what a mystery, the incarnation, isn't it? A verse that we know very well, especially around Christmas time, is Isaiah 9, verse 6. What is it? Think about this. I want you to think about this verse, and I'm going to highlight a couple spots as we go. For unto us a child is born. Okay, so there's a child. Unto us a son is given. Okay, a son. And the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful. Okay, so this child, the son who is given, and Isaiah 7.14, it says, The virgin shall conceive, the virgin, Mary, she shall conceive and bear a son. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Notice, Mighty God. This son is Mighty God, Almighty God in the flesh. That's equating God the Father with the Son. That means they are one. We've heard of the Trinity. Try explaining that to somebody, the Trinity. You're going to have a hard time. 
But that's what the Bible says. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The three are one. The Son. He's mighty God. Notice, everlasting Father. Are you kidding me? He's equal with, he's calling this son, this, this child, 700 years before he was even incarnate through the Virgin Mary, he was called Almighty God, Everlasting Father. Oh my goodness, that means he's equal with God. And I'll say one word to that. Duh. Yes. He is. It's what it's all about. It's what it's all about. And of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward. And guess what? And forever. All the kings on this earth have died. But this king lives forever. He lives now. He's ever, he ever lives to make intercession for us. When he rose again on the third day, 40 days later, he ascended into heaven. He's been there preparing a place for us, interceding for you and I on our behalf, saying, I will come for you again, and I will prepare a place. And that's what he's doing. He's interceding. He's building. He's preparing a place for you and I that where he is, we might also be. Are you looking forward to that? We talked about that in Revelation. In the rapture of the church, we're going to be taken and we're going to meet him in the air. We will be with him forevermore. And then Paul said, comfort one another with these words. That's a pretty good comfort, I would say. I mean, think of the alternative. He's going to prepare a place for you and then he's going to come and he's going to lock you up. Because you've been naughty. He's going to throw you in the deepest, darkest pit. Because you've been nasty. (laughs) Is that what it says? No, quite the opposite. Quite the opposite. And none of the founders of any of the world religions can rightly claim to be God or even have the claim to die for the sins of the world. And it seems that this gospel has anticipated heresies and attacks on the word of God. The Jehovah's Witnesses do not believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. They believe that in these first verse where it says, in the beginning was the word, they believe that the word is synonymous with Michael the archangel. They don't believe that Jesus is the word of God. He's just a good man. That he was indeed Michael the archangel. Charles Russell, the founder of the Jehovah's Witness Watchtower Society in Brooklyn, New York, what did he say? He says, the man Jesus is dead. He's forever dead. End quote. That's what they believe. But yet they come to your door, and they'll, show, they'll open up a Bible, and they'll, they'll even allow you to use your Bible sometimes, but usually they're trying to you know, sell your, their stuff to you. Don't buy it. The Bible says, don't even let them in your house. Don't. Give them Godspeed. <laughs> Just say, no thank you. Or if you want to talk with them, share the gospel with them. I've done that a couple times. Believe me, they, they don't want to hear it. But you know what? Why not try? But don't talk about anything but Jesus and him being God. That'll drive them crazy. Demons screaming <laughs> when you talk about Jesus being God. Because that's, that's what it's all about, folks. That's why we're here. If he wasn't God, then we're wasting our time. The Mormon church believed that Jesus was the half-brother of Lucifer and thus equal with Satan. But yet the Bible says that Satan was a created being. In Ezekiel 28, you can read it. He's a created being. He's not equal with God. 
He's not equal with Jesus. Brigham Young said this, Jesus Christ was a polygamist. Kind of justifies their stance, doesn't it? Jesus Christ was a polygamist. Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus, were his plural wives, and Mary Magdalene was another. Also, the bridal feast of Cana of Galilee, which we'll look at in chapter 2, he he claims where Jesus turned the water into wine was the occasion of one of his marriages. Can you believe this nonsense? Jesus was a polygamist. Really? Really? Believe me, if Jesus can withstand 40 days in the wilderness being tempted by the devil himself, there's no woman on the planet who could tempt him. No woman. See, you and I have never been tempted by the devil, probably. We've been tempted by demons. But can you imagine the devil himself coming and tempting you? Believe me, you're going to need everything. You're going to need the Son of God on your side, and you better drop to your knees and start calling on Jesus If the devil comes after you, he's no match for Jesus, but apart from Christ, we are helpless. If he comes after us, helpless, but God, but God, right? Christian scientists, Mary Baker Eddy, the founder of Christian science, she said this, God is indivisible. A portion of God cannot enter man. Neither could God's fullness be reflected by a single man. She clearly did not understand the mystery of the incarnation, and she certainly didn't understand Colossians 2, verse 9. It says, for in him, in Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, in bodily form. All the fullness of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That is the mystery of the incarnation. God who dwells outside of time, who the heavens can't even contain him, yet he could be in a frame of a human body. Is God able to do that? I think he is. If he was able in the beginning to say, let there be light, and there was light, when there was nothing, and he says, let there be light, and there was light. And he looked in the oceans and he says, let there be life. And he knew exactly the order of it all and how everything would work together. Everything would be in its right order. The food chain was already well established. Already in his mind, he just says, let it happen. And all these genius and wonderful creatures came to be. And then he created man, you and I, to capstone his creation, to take care of it, to have authority over it. So he... Is God, and yet the world religions deny that. They say that He is not God in the flesh. In 1 John chapter 2 22, it says, Who is a liar, John says, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ, that is the Messiah. And the Messiah is equivalent to God Almighty in the flesh. The Jews knew that. The Messiah was equal with God. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? Believe me, many of the world religions are denying that Jesus is the Christ. And yet that's what the Bible says. That's what we have to uphold. That's what we have to preach. That's what we have to teach. And hopefully we're living that message. I want to live that message. I want my life to be a reflection of Jesus Christ. His purity, his holiness. And I'd love to do that and still have a sense of humor a sanctified sense of humor. And the Lord has been sanctifying my sense of humor over the last several years, and especially in the last two and a half. 
In 1 John chapter 4, he says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets, and Mary Baker Eddy and Charles Russell and uh, Brigham Young and all of these are false prophets. They are all false prophets, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Notice, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. That makes it pretty simple, doesn't it? That cuts it right down. If they believe that he's God in the flesh, it's of God. If they don't believe it, they're not. It's that simple. So when you talk to people, ask them who Jesus is. And if they say, well, he's a good guy. He's a, he's a wonderful prophet. Not good enough. It's not good enough. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and now is already in the world. The spirit of Antichrist. Everything that you hear that says Jesus is not who he says he is, is is the spirit of Antichrist. I think there's a lot of that happening, don't you? Even in some Christian churches, some Protestant churches. They don't talk about the the Bible anymore. They talk about feel-good messages, make you feel good inside so that you come back. And while you're in getting a 30-second or, or I'm sorry, a a 30-minute sermonette after the worship team has spent an hour and a half with all the lights and the guitars and everything, while you're doing that, your kids are are playing video games and being entertained. This gospel confronts, even of John's day, it confronts Gnosticism, it confronts Docetism, asceticism, which all these things are just false teachings of John's day that, uh, among other things, claim that Jesus was just a phantom, that he wasn't really God in the flesh. It also is an affront to all the man-made religion and uh, secular liberal thinking. What does 1 Corinthians 1 say, verse 18? For the message of the cross is what? Foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. This gospel abolishes all of that. In 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are what? They are spiritually discerned. There have been a few critics who have examined the Bible and, and said, the book of Isaiah, there appears to be at least two different authors of the book of Isaiah. Because the message in the first 40 chapters is quite a bit different than the last 26. And again, the Lord, his word, preempting this, It's called the Deutero-Isaiah theory, meaning two Isaiahs. Some people think there's three or four. Oh, let's just pick five. Why not? But what does the Bible say? 
You can believe the higher critics, or you can believe what the Word of God says. In John chapter 12, it says in verse 37, But although he had done so many signs and miracles before them, they did not believe him that the word of Isaiah, the prophet, might be fulfilled. And here he quotes Isaiah chapter 53. That's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of John. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.